want to say hello to those that have joined the room as well. And um, this is going to be a great conversation today. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with David and his work. Um, for those that are not, though, David is an American photojournalist focusing on geopolitical conflict, conservation, and culture. Um, and he's currently a photographer with National Geographic. But um, David, your career has been so amazing and so impressive. Um, I really appreciate you coming to speak with us about, um, you know, your background and then also kind of what you're working on now and even coming into the NFT space. Um, but um, are you doing all right today? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that's a very kind uh, intro. Um, and I'm I'm a relative newbie to this uh, this space and this part of photography, so uh, I'm here to learn a lot as well. So thank you. Well, that's um, that's very very interesting as well. Um, I've I know that recently you have come into the NFT space, um, and Monolith Gallery has represented um, the piece from North Korea, the cartwheels piece from your North some of your North Korea work. Um, it looked amazing on the um, on the monolith at Scope. Um, it was really really amazing to see it displayed there. Yeah, I wasn't able to see it live uh, in Florida, but wow, it, it looked really incredible. And um, there were a lot of people in this community that were sending pictures and videos of uh, our images. Fantastic to see them uh, lit up in Miami. Well, it was very impressive to see in person, and um, I did also, um, We, I'm glad to see Chikai in the audience, and Chikai, if you would like to come up and join, you're welcome to do so, um, because I know he's been really integral in the beginnings um, and may have some interesting questions to ask as well, um, but we've got Alpha with us as well. Alpha, do you have your technical difficulties sorted? I think so. I hope so. So um super excited. Hello, everybody. Hi, David. Uh, super excited to be able to talk to you today. Looking forward to learning more about your experiences as a photojournalist and, and uh, really looking forward to finding out about um, Mass Cartwheel and that ex your experiences in North Korea. So excited to, to hear from you. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, it's, it's you and Chikai that... Uh, have been some of the first to to welcome me into the NFT space. So uh, all thanks to you. Yeah, I think you're going to find Web3 is an incredibly welcoming space. And so I know there's a lot of people that are really excited about you um, joining. And, you know, they're, they really welcome people with open arms. And so... We're all very, very excited that you're here and um, looking forward to uh, following you on this part of the journey uh, of your um, career as a photographer. Yeah, thanks. That's how that's been my experience. Um, just a very, a very welcoming community people, uh, some of whom I see popping up on the in the space. Uh, Chikai, Omar, others who were just, you know, ready to uh, open doors and 
hold my hand when things when I was first uh, learning and asking questions about the NFT space a year ago. So thank you. Absolutely. And we'll say hello to Chikai. I don't know if you expected to join the conversation so early, but glad to have you with us, Chikai. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, I did not expect I thought I'd like eat some lunch and sort of listen to David talk, but I'm happy to jump on stage uh, and very happy you guys hosted him. I'm so glad you guys are, you know, hosting a space for him and his work. And of course, been a fan of his for a long time, but uh uh, good to see you, everybody. Alpha, David, Emma, everybody, um, uh, and happy to on stage. Well, glad to have you with us. And um, you know, as researching and you know, looking into your career, David, it's so impressive the amount of places that you have traveled. And even um, I found a really interesting connection between um, technology as it's evolved through the time of your career. Um, with you know, starting off, um, I believe in ninety four, nineteen ninety four is when you started your photojournalism career officially. Um, but then also, I'd love to learn about a little bit about moving into adopting more of the um, the smartphone photography and then also Instagram and now Web3 and seeing how those um, kind of work together. Um, but I believe that in 94, you graduated from the University of Iowa with majoring in journalism, cultural anthropology, and African studies. And I was curious, did you already have the plan that photography was going to be a big part of how you were going to be doing journalism? I guess so. I mean, I, I think I, I think photography came first, really, um, using it, you know, creatively as a storyteller and so forth. Um, before I discovered, um, you know, what I could do with it as a journalist, um, you know, it, it began, I guess, as a, you know, creative tool, and then maybe. Uh, a way to tell stories and then maybe a, a ticket to, you know, to front row seats to seeing the world. Um, but, you know, it very quickly became, uh, you know, my purpose, my job uh, as, a, as a journalist. Um, I am a writer as well, but uh, first and foremost, a photographer. And I assume that that was probably the case, but um, with looking into it a little bit more, I was really curious um, if that was something that came first as a passion and a love and, you know, that it was, and so that totally makes sense as a, a method to be able to capture images and to be able to tell those stories. And um, I believe you've, you've spent time in the last few decades in 75 different countries. Is that right? I'm not sure uh, exactly. Uh the number of places that I've worked. Um, but yeah, I have um, traveled and, and lived uh, all over the world. I left the United States where I grew up uh, when I was in university and I thought it was going to be a short, a short uh, few months until I, you know, until the money ran out or, uh, and it became my, my whole, life and career and purpose. I was away for 25 years until uh, somewhat recently moving back to the United States. I think it was interesting that you asked about that you framed it 
the conversation at the beginning about technology because I think that's uh, you know an interesting uh, way to talk about uh, why I'm here today and why we're talking about NFTs. Uh, you know, my career has kind of spanned a lot of uh, you know a lot of changes in photography and in and in the photography business. Um, when I be first began as a photojournalist, I was traveling uh, with film cameras, you know, a trunk full of darkroom equipment, you know, chemicals that I would have to mix in the field and to develop my film every day. I would hang my film on clotheslines. Uh, I used these rudimentary old scanners and dial-up modems. I mean, the, the, the best photographer photographers at the time were not the most creative photographers, um, but they were the ones who could, you know, were like MacGyvers who could punch a hole in the wall and scrape the wires and attach alligator clips and find a way to get a picture out to the world. Um, and so uh, when digital photography came into my hands, there were sort of, you know, old school, there were purists who were, <laughs> believe it or not, saying that they would never use a digital camera and so forth. And for me, it was just such a uh, breakthrough. It was, there was, it was just like a creative burst for me. I could just be out all the time, uh, work, thinking about photography, uh, not worrying about processing film and getting pictures out to the world. Um, I could take creative risks. You know, when I was using film cameras, I, I had to use uh, only four rolls of film a day. So that's 36 times four, because that's all that my development tank would hold. And so suddenly I had a digital camera in my hands and I could essentially take unlimited amounts of pictures and then enormous creative risks. Um, and then you mentioned so social media when, you know, when I guess this would have been 10 years ago when I, 10 years ago when I got my first smartphone, it was so, uh, it was so exciting. I had a camera always with me in my back pocket. Um, I could, uh, I had direct access through social media to like a growing audience that, and the first newspaper or magazine that I ever worked for had uh, a, a circulation of five, six, seven thousand people, maybe. And suddenly I had a social media following of a million or more. And I could speak directly to people. People could ask questions. It was very dynamic, a dynamic uh, conversation between me and other photographers and people looking at my photography and my work. And um it was, I think, a sea change in photography. And so uh, I went on a, a long rant about my like technology and my career just to say that I've tried to always uh, remain as open-minded as possible whenever these crossroads in photography have, um, have come about, crossroads in terms of the economy of photography, technology, creativity. And, um, and so, uh, 
last year, it was a little over a year ago, um, I saw um, Web3 as the latest and potentially largest, uh, you know, crossroads again in our industry. So um, that's why I'm here. That is so interesting, and I definitely, I, I definitely appreciate you sharing that. And I'd love to even hear more about that. Is how you see the Web three being a stronger crossroads and maybe the largest one at this point? Well, um, I mean, I think first of all, um, the NFT space. Uh, there are not so many photojournalists, documentary photographers like me, um, or there, you know, there haven't been from the start. Um, and just like 10 years ago when social media was suddenly on everyone's radar, um, it was true then too. There were very just photojournalists that were um, using social media. And I felt then like, oh, well, you know, the, how can the, the biggest change or the largest visual platform in the world um, not have photographers like myself? And, and so I jumped in and I encouraged all of my other documentary photographer friends to, to do the same because I felt like we had, um, we had a place there and we should have a voice in the development of photography in in social media, uh, and the same is true now with uh, with Web three. I I want to have be a part of it. I want to have a voice in it. I want to um, I want to be part of like the next thing for photography. Um, and I think that uh, just just in a, just to say it briefly, uh, the NFTs and Web3 excites me beyond art commerce. Although I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities of, uh, of, uh, you know, the Web3 being a different and decentralized and powerful business model for for to support the work that we photographers do. Um, but I'm also just really excited about um, about smart contracts and creative uses of, of that, ways that we that I can share in um, earning and support with um, subjects that I photograph or um, with issues and organizations who that my photographs uh, highlight or or try to support um, I think that that's one of the most exciting things I think that also uh, as we think about legacy and archives and uh, and the sort of long life of our photography um, uh, the blockchain is uh, it's exciting to think about about that legacy and and uh, provenance and so these are things that I think are going to not only uh, become 
sort of an upheaval in the business of photography, but it's an upheaval in photojournalism, documentary photography, because of the way that it can, um, you know, bypass the traditional gatekeepers of, of what we do. I completely agree. And, and, you know, from my viewpoint, I see it as a way of being able to preserve stories for decades to come, you know, to have someone's voice and their images being preserved for the future. And it once it's there, it can't be changed, you know, and, and being able to actually kind of reflect on time periods and events and being able to know exactly what the, you know, the, the artist, the author was wanting to convey and what they were seeing through their eyes. Um, and I find that very exciting. Um, and I'm curious, too, from your viewpoint, and especially for documentary photography, is that the same or do you see that in a different light? No, I think that it, uh, I think that we're all considering how to, um, you know, how to get it right in Web3. And I think that the, the documentary photographers have um, been on the sidelines a little bit uh, or, or are slow to explore the possibilities um, with NFTs. Uh, maybe, maybe just in part because of the way that there's been a little bit of a line between, you know, fine art photography and documentary photojournalism. I mean, I have, uh, I have, I collect fine art prints of photography and I have my house full of my favorite photography. And I, the pictures that I love and the pictures that I own some of it is fine art, but most of it is journalism and documentary photography. And I think that's because uh, the work that I truly love is work that is inarguably artistic, creative, but also I value it for what it's done. And so the pictures that I have on my walls are pictures that had some say in changing the world, whether it be, you know, anti-war photography or uh, photography that um, has, you know, helped change policy or uh, been good for the planet. Uh, so that's just, from, those are the images that I have on my wall. And those are actually the images that I think um, are the NFTs that I would like to see available and like to collect a one-to-one -one of an image that is an artifact that changed the world that was important in that kind of way um, beyond its you know artistry um, and i think that documentary photographers are slowly seeing it that way seeing the the one-to-one -one, um as you know an equivalent to the photographic negative, I guess. I find that very, very fascinating, and I completely agree. Um, and I know personally for me, the storytelling aspect and being able to document and, you know, the background of an image is very significant in what I connect with. And so I completely agree with you as well that that is an amazing opportunity. And, 
you know, to be able to have the chance to see images from all around the world and to be able to look deeper into different things that happen to know how they are significantly impacting our culture is just, it's really, really remarkable. And, you know, I, for me personally, having this opportunity to connect with those that are experiencing these things and getting to understand them from a different viewpoint is something that I didn't really have as I didn't feel like I had as readily access to prior to NFTs. And so for me, I'm very, very excited about, you know, this, the onboarding of these chances and these stories being preserved forever on the blockchain. Um, and, you know, I think both from the aspects, just like you had mentioned, you know, from the commerce side, but also from the preservation side, I can see there being a lot of importance there. Um, and mentioning collecting fine art photography as well, I was curious, do you have someone particular that stands out that you are a fan of? Um, in fine art or in the NFT space? <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I think I'm grateful for, um, you know, I'll give a shout out to Chikai right now because I'm grateful for him because in early conversations I had with him, he understood this this perspective really well, um, which was that if you look, just look at the, photog the photo photographers that he represents uh, through Monolith, I mean, there are incredible digital artists and fine art photographers and people, uh, artists, photographers doing things that, that I will never do and can't do. And I appreciate them very much, but he's also, he also sees the value in a photographer like myself, a nonfiction photographer, um, and the other photographers, especially the Nat Geo photographers that he's um, that he's welcomed into Monolith. Um, and so that's you know my genre and my family. The the photographers who I love, it's too many to count, um, <laughs> and the photographers who I uh, who I have hanging on my walls. Uh, I would, if I have to mention one name, I would say John Lowenstein, old, one of my oldest friends, the most creative um, and uh, humanitarian thinking photographer that I know, um, and the most incredible fine artist who works with uh, every kind of camera you can imagine, including old Polaroid land cameras. Um, and has jumped with both feet into the NFT world and Web3 as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think that that's been another thing that's been amazing is to be able to explore the different genres, but also just you start you start appreciating the work from one particular photographer and it kind of leads to another and leads to another and there's so much there to to be educated on and to appreciate and to learn about their techno their technique and experiences and it's just um it's it's really amazing how um immersive the whole experience can be um and I, I know the piece that um, that Alpha preferenced at the beginning of the conversation that was represented by Monolith, the mass um, the mass cartwheel image is something that seems like it rings it rings very true to you know your mission with you know bringing in images that are very significant historically and can talk about you know can represent such a strong experience. Um, and were you? 
strategic in bringing that image in with Monolith um, at this at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I selected that picture as my first NFT um, because it's it's part of a, a larger body of work that I I have to say would be the most I guess the most important uh, work that I've done, and I think that it it straddles well the the line of um, artistry and a kind of surreal view of of the world that um, I guess attracts me uh, to photography and to to working in North Korea specifically. It's the it's the most um, unusual and rare uh, work that I've ever done. To you know, I spent. 20 years, I guess, 20 years working inside North Korea. Um, I'm the only uh, Western photographer to have ever had regular access inside the country. It's a famously, uh, infamously isolated place uh, that, you know, I think it's fair to say the world knows very little about because it's so isolated and shut off from the world. Um, and I had this amazing, incredible opportunity and responsibility of traveling there. Uh, I think I'd made, made 50 trips inside North Korea and um, took it as a great responsibility to try and uh, do something something of historic value while I was there. And I think this picture, this picture was, I guess, the right sort of opening um, for the NFT space, uh, but it's one of, um, one of many that I, you know, that we plan to, to release through Monolith and uh, yeah. Well, it is an absolute, go, go ahead, Alpha, I'm sorry. I was just going to say one thing that's fascinating to me about that particular um, photo is your your use of the term nonfiction photographer. And that is just when you think about it being real, you didn't make it or stage it. It's something you actually you know documented, yet it looks like something that could have been artistically composed and I could see someone actually trying to create that, an image like that, which is just, to me, that's like what helps bridge that whole um, space between um, documentary and fine art. And so it's both in one, one, one image. And I think that's pretty amazing. And it's pretty special. Um, in fact, I've collected from some artists that what they do is they, compose images um to that'll look similar to that that'll have that type of feel in the fine art world and um you found it like natural and that's amazing and so that's that's the type of thing that's like literally you document a piece of history and part of something that's going on in the world that most people will never see otherwise or even realize is out there or exist 
Well, I really appreciate you describing it that way better than I, um, <laughs> better than I did from my own work, but that, that, that really is what I, uh, had always hoped to do with the work in North Korea. I wanted to do the work of um, fair humanist, but straight documentary work of the place, but the visual style of the photography, I always tried to walk that line of uh, being like, wow, this like a spectacle. Wow, is this real? Um, to draw people in, to draw a viewer in, but um, but it's all uh, North North Korea has, uh, I guess, a lot of people imagine that North Korea is some fantastical place that it's not real, that it's just like the Truman Show, a facade where there's no real life, um, and what what I went there to do uh, was seemingly simple, which was to try and show that there was real life and real something worthy of our, of our understanding and our attention. Um, what you said about the work is, uh, is what I hope to achieve with it. So thank you. And um, yeah, thank you, Alpha, for that comment, for sure. Um, and David, I guess a question that I'm sure many people have um, with learning about the amount of time that you've spent in North Korea is, was it a challenge to be able to have the opportunity to spend as much time and to be able to be what seems, you know, accepted or allowed to have, you know, the access and especially to document um, everyday life in North Korea? It's... Uh... You know, one of maybe the hardest place in the world to to do to do all of that. Yeah, that's true. Um, I had, I mean, I can quickly mention how it, how it was possible for me. Um, I went to North Korea exactly twenty years ago for the first time with the U.S. Secretary of State at the time, Madeleine Albright, on a sort of peace mission. Uh, and I immediately became obsessed with the place, not only because of its incredible uh, melancholy beauty and surreal, it's just, it, I responded as a photographer first, but I also knew that if I had the tenacity and kept at it, that I could hopefully do something of importance there. So I just, I just made it my obsession for 20 years. I I tried to go any way I possibly could. I went as a bird watcher. I went to a, as a film enthusiast to a film festival. Um, I traveled with the New York Philharmonic when they made um, a sort of peace through ping pong or peace through orchestra trip. Uh, I went both times with Dennis Rodman, uh, which is a whole other conversation we could have. Um, and then, you know, having gone inside the country a half a dozen or a dozen times, um, that kind of made me, by default, somewhat of a North Korea expert. And so in 2012, when 
the Associated Press decided to try and open uh, an office inside the country. Uh, I went with, they asked me to go and I went and helped negotiate the opening of a bureau. Um, and then I uh, became the AP North Korea photographer, which granted me a visa and I traveled almost every month uh, for four or five years. Um, the country's now closed. The last time I went was in 20, just before COVID. Um, and now the country's been been shut down. The borders have been sealed since COVID and uh, um, sort of returned to, for me and for, for the rest of us, it's returned to uh, a kind of black hole again for information. And I'm, do you have, I'm sure you still have contacts and friends there with going and visiting as much as you did. Um, I, I definitely have uh, contacts and uh, North Koreans who I would call my friends, but it's impossible to be in direct contact with anybody inside the country. So um, the last time I spoke with anyone, um, any North Korean was when I traveled there in, I guess it was 2019. Um, and I wonder and worry about them all the time when we when trick trickles of information come out of north korea uh you know I, I think first of the few people who i who i care about there and wonder what's become of them i try constantly to get a visa and to go back and i hope to again soon um but we'll see i i just have to ask you um so if you, you went both times with Dennis Rodman, can you tell us anything about that experience? Because I can't even imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, do you, yeah, anything you can tell us about it, just uh, that really piques my curiosity. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the weirdest experiences of my life, uh, for sure. I mean, he. I was there in in the gym when he... Uh, hand selected North Korea's national team. He was supposed to be, I guess he was supposed to be uh, uh, helping as a coach. Um, and he sat on the sidelines as all of these really talented, earnest uh, North Korean basketball players aligned up in their uniforms. And he sat on the sidelines smoking a cigar with his sunglasses and like totally. Uh, bejeweled sunglasses and everything and puffed on a cigar and picked the team and then went out to try to show them uh, how it's done and threw up a couple of air balls. <laughs> I was with him the whole time. He, when he came back to play uh, uh, with a group of like sort of past NBA stars um, and street ballers, he brought them in and they played against the, the Korean national team Um he sang the national anthem. He he thanked the leader Kim Jong Un. Said he loved him. Started to cry. <laughs> uh, the the rest of the team were like had absolutely no idea what they'd gotten themselves into and <laughs> didn't know if they could leave. It was uh, and I left with the team and he stayed on um, to go and hang out 
officially in the residence of of the leader Kim Jong Un. <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine. So that's a uh, yeah. That's crazy. That's an amazing experience. So do you have photos from that? I mean, I obviously, <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, you know, I have two decades of photography from North Korea. I have a uh, a North Korea book, which I'm, uh, which I have a dummy for, and I'm working on, and um, and I have a two collections that uh, I plan to bring forward in the NFT space soon. Awesome. I cannot wait to, um, I cannot wait to see this work. So what, when do you, when do you think you'll be bringing some of that forward? Do you have any kind of plans in place for it yet? And yeah, anything you can tell us to, um, you've already wet my appetite and I'm already really, really excited. So, um, looking forward to this. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm leaning on uh, I'm leaning on my friends at Monolith and Chikai and others in the space. I see Scott Strazanti below, so hey Scott. Um, I'm leaning a lot on some of uh, my friends in the space to come up with the right cadence for this and working with Chikai for that. I have two collections, one that this mass cartwheel comes from um and the second collection uh which i guess i consider to be like a little more rare uh because it's all uh 16 by 9 uh Hasselblad x-pan panoramic pictures from over the years um that i'm releasing with uh, I guess extras, which include all of these artifacts that I've collected, ephemera and and writing and uh, yeah. So I've got I've, I've got a lot um, beyond the sort of straighter photojournalism that I that I created there. Um, which is film photography and a lot of uh, a lot of collected North Korean art and artifacts and ephemera and so forth that I'm sort of going to blend and move that you know further into the sort of fine art kind of world than this um, surreal, fantastical, but nonfiction documentary photography. Yeah, and David, I'm sort of jumping here a little bit. Um, and you should tell them about the camera you used to photograph those panoramas. And one of those panoramas actually is on Monolith. That was actually, I think, your very, very first one. Uh, so that is available uh, out there. Um, and it was like, a, like, I think it was like this. You should tell more about that photo also. But the camera story and why you picked that camera and why you used that camera, I think is also a great story. Oh yeah, thanks, Rakai. Um, yeah, we have we have one image from that uh, that collection that's 
monolith as well. Uh, the camera is a it's a hot, it's a now no longer uh, available old film camera, uh, a Hasselblad X-Pan. It's um, it uh, uses uh, 35 millimeter film, but it's um, it's exposing to a 16 by nine panoramic image. Uh, I. I started using it not only because I just, you know, for all of we current film photographers, we love the the analog camera in our hands and so forth. And I love the sort of cinematic wide panoramic view of these like incredible spaces there. But the main reason I started using it is that I was under a lot of scrutiny when I was there and, you know, when you work in North Korea, you can only um, you have to travel everywhere you go with a, with a minder. Just this constant kind of con uh, observation. You're under observation. There's constant conversations about why you're photographing that or not photographing that. And um, I found that if I used a different camera, especially uh, I guess like an old in their eyes like an old-fashioned old-timey camera that they just kind of ignored it because they thought oh well he can't do any damage with that versus his you know big fancy you know dslr digital camera and so i wonder's level in the flash mount at the top of the camera so that i could see that my horizons were straight but otherwise i just kind of walked around and um and just took pictures with the with by hitting the cable release that was in my hand on my sleeve. It's like a little spy versus spy ish, but it was also just it's also just um, a way to slow down and to kind of allow myself to photograph things that were not of necessarily of news value. They were just these like spectacular, uh, but otherwise just daily life of people in North Korea. Um, and I, I did that as well. We talked about te technology. I mean, I, I went the other direction as well. In 2012, it was illegal to bring a, a mobile phone into the, into the country. When you arrived at the airport, they would seize your iPhone and put it in a little box, and then you could get it back when you left the country, probably with malware attached to it. Um, but then one day they were like, all right, you can bring your phone into the country. Not only that, that they, but they opened a, um, a Korean, their own uh, intranet and their own uh, North Korean mobile phone network, Link. And suddenly I could bring my phone into North Korea. I was making pictures with my phone like I was just learning to do in 2012. Um, I started... You know, tweeting and posting to Instagram, which was just absolutely mind blowing because I was a country that was like totally isolated and technology completely disallowed. And suddenly I was, you know, like having conversations with a tweeted, or I, I posted a picture to Instagram and, and JR asked me about it. And I was having a conversation about North Korea sitting in Pyongyang on my bed. It was absolutely like a mind-blowing sea change in the way that I share or even publish photography. And I was, Google Maps was 
more or less empty. I was naming streets. I was using Foursquare. <laughs> I was the mayor of the Juche Tower and whatever hotel I was staying in, the Young Bacto Hotel on some island. I was, um, I was doing Yelp restaurant reviews <laughs> along with the reporter that I was with. And, uh, you know, it was just this, like, an amazing uh, kind of one foot in two worlds of on the one hand, I felt, you know, I was using all of the latest technology of 2012. And on the other hand, I felt like I was, a, you know, Kipling or a explorer, you know, a total carte blanche and a, alone in a place that um, was really undiscovered. Wow. I mean, I love the Yelp reviews. That's like amazing that you're doing Yelp reviews in like, I, there's no other person, but you, you'd be the expert Yelp reviewer in uh, North Korea, which is absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you something. This is more just like your mental framework as you work um, in or in these different countries. Like when we were chatting about releasing the, the mass cartwheel, you were in Ukraine. And I had not pushed on you to release something for our Basel with the whole group of natural photographers because you were in the front lines of Ukraine. But you were able to mint it from there, which I need to ask you about how you did that. But also, like, the question in that context is that, you know, when you go to these places, they're so different from, I'm sure, I mean, where you, you, you live and sort of, you know, your family is and stuff. Is your mental like sort of the way you view it as if you're almost like in this fantastical sort of like other world that's almost imaginary or do you have a very strong sense of where you are and the reality you're in or is it both like i'm just curious like when you go in there to be able to to process what's going on and sort of you know to somehow reconcile these extreme sort of uh diametrically opposed situations like that technology you're talking about or just the situation in Ukraine versus like, you know, us and people in the United States is a very, very different uh, context. And I'm just mm. curious how you mentally sort of reconcile or don't reconcile those two contexts. Mm, yeah, that that's a lot to think about. Um, well, first of all, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the easy part, which is, uh, yeah, I spent most of all most of last year in ukraine um covering covering the war since end of uh after the russians invaded uh and you know during in the months lead up to the war i was like kind of steeped in all things nft trying to learn learn from you and um and uh made good use of my time and got uh so when I was there and I saw like my call, my Nat Geo colleagues um, about to like do something beautiful, I was like feeling a little FOMO. So yeah, I reached out to you and uh, it wasn't difficult. I mean, the difficult part for me minting an NFT was the same difficult part that I would have had here in my home, which was uh, um, getting up to speed with the rest of uh, the people in this Twitter space. Um, but yeah, it was not a problem. I was, I think I was in a, I was in a hotel that had, a, or I was in an apartment building that had uh, 
electricity for certain chunks of the day. Um, and so I just timed it to be uh, got up in the night during one of those periods when the electricity was on. And uh, <laughs> first time's a charm. I think I had to ask you to remind me how to do it. <laughs> if I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that you had enough internet and you actually did it from there, and like it's just it's just interesting how small yet big the world is. Uh, and you don't have to answer the second question. It's definitely a definitely deep question, but like, no, yeah, I'll, I'll just I, I'll try, but I'll I'll just follow up first and say that 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 idea of like these two worlds of of uh, you know past and present or future all, all the time being confronted by that all the time is really you feel it a lot in, in Ukraine because you go to the front line of this war and I'm sleeping in a trench and it's like they're fighting with tanks and artillery in the mud it's like uh, it's like you know the first or second world war but then the guy next to you is like pulling a, a drone out of his pocket and attaching a, like a do-it-yourself grenade and then flying it over enemy lines and and i'm flying my drone to take pictures i mean it's just there's so much like bizarre uh past and, and present uh, especially on the ukrainian side that you're confronted with constantly there um but to answer the question about sort of like how psychologically how it's done i suppose is uh I, maybe there's maybe some photographers when they put their eye to the back of their camera and they're behind their camera it's uh it's a buffer for them between between them and in the reality of this like intense different place and space that you're in um but I don't think that's, I mean, I've heard photographers describe it in that way, but that, that isn't how it's ever felt for me. And I feel like, um, you know, when I go to a place, Ukraine or anywhere else, North Korea, it's my, it's my job to, to understand and fully immerse myself as much as possible and into that world. And so, I mean, if anything, it makes it really hard to come home when you first arrive in a place and you're completely blind and lost and learning and um, within days or weeks or months, years, you uh, you have a life there, really. And and then you try to come home to your uh, to your real life <laughs> and it can be really complicated. It can be really difficult, especially in the first days. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think it's uh, it's amazing what you do out there, and to to have someone like you who has that compassion and the humanity about you in terms of how you view those to be our lens into those landscapes in Ukraine as well as North Korea. I mean, one of the things that always struck me is, you know, how you try to take people uh, as people in North Korea, not as a sort of like a you're looking at it as like a, I don't know, so like a, this this thing to look at as if there's an object, but they're actually people with, you know, real lives. And I've always appreciated that that uh, perspective you brought uh, with your camera. 
uh, to those parts of the world. So, yeah, I, I am uh, very thankful to be connected and stuff. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think the, the new stuff you have coming along with you is going to be amazing with the collections we're talking about. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think all this is, like you talked about with the Nat Geo people, like this is the beginnings of people opening their eyes and sort of, you know, developing a more sophisticated taste for photography or art in general. And like you and Aaron Huey and everybody, uh, I, I see that sort of in the start in that group of people. And so I'm glad you joined us, even though you had to do it from Ukraine at the middle of the night to get the power and stuff. But I appreciate you coming in and, and sticking with it because uh, I think it is a truly amazing uh, art that you're bringing to the blockchain. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Shakai, for all that help. But all the thanks go to you. I, you know, probably like most documentary photographers and the other Nat Geo photographers who, especially older guys, older, older, the older of us, uh, you know, we were, I was unsure and slow to. Um, I took my time in trying to understand this and um, your character and the, you know, your generosity uh, in navig helping me navigate through all of this uh, is, uh, I learned, I learned it from you. And also uh, it just made me like feel great about the space and trust I trust this. So thank you. Oh, thank you, David. I mean, I, I think it was the same for you. Uh, I think uh, it's good people find good people and you're definitely good people, David. Uh, and also I, I do want to say like, you know, I appreciate you coming on stage. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, Emma and Alpha and Mad Jungle who brought you in. But, you know, I think that one thing that uh, I think it was funny how we got introduced because like uh, Casa, uh, Ka, um, uh, Ka, Kas, Kala. no, Kala Kessler. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. She said, Hey, you got to talk to this guy named David. And then like just a few minutes, moments later, Ruben said, you should talk to him. And then I met Scott Cerzanti, uh in person and said, yeah, David wrote the preface to my book. Uh, and so all these things were vectoring to point me toward you. And, I think that one thing that um, that they all said that you're very, you know, more quiet and more introverted. I mean, I think as many of us are. Uh, and so I think hearing you on stage and having you come on stage and sort of speaking, which I'm sure is outside maybe your comfort zone or is what you normally do, uh, I think is greatly appreciated because I think that to hear your story directly from you and what you went through, I think. Uh, I just want to say thank you for that because I know it's not your normal thing to go on stage and talk to a ton of people. Um, and so I do want to just show appreciation for that uh, on your side. Dave. Well, thanks for that. I think the last time I was part of one of your Twitter spaces, I was still in Ukraine and when, <laughs> and uh, it was the middle of the night, I was definitely in a different headspace and uh, I, I'm not sure what I said. I'm not sure sure if I said anything that made any sense whatsoever, but um, so yeah, it's a little outside of my comfort zone, but yeah, glad to do this. Yeah, I, and I could not believe you called in from Ukraine. 
I, I, I really was surprised when I saw like, David's on the space. Like, how? What? What's happening? And so I, I just, I just think it's amazing how. I mean, you sound like you were in the next room, yet you were there, and it, it is like you said that sort of, sort of that um, the sort of juxtaposition of like technology bringing us closer, yet we're so far. These these, these sort of juxtaposition, two very different concepts. The drones while in trench warfare, like all that stuff, I think is to me what pulls me into a lot of art is I love those high contrast juxtapositions, uh, especially when they're conceptual and sort of, you know, uh, more sort of uh, there's more like a stuff that's more representative versus necessarily like a literal uh, difference. And so, uh, you know, you're bringing a lot of that to it, which I, I really do think helps us see our world clear by, by showing those things side by side. So I'm gonna head off the back, back off to either Emma or Alpha. <laughs> That's I've been chatting for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I love the, those questions, Shukai, and um, I love I love listening to to David. David, it's interesting because just from a collector's perspective, um, listening to you, um, you know, talk about what you're doing and about what you've done in North Korea and why you went there and, and really about your feelings about, you know, how you felt while you were doing these things. It's so, it's so important. I think, um, for a collector like myself, when I, when I hear you talking, then I can, I feel that passion that you have and definitely, you know, the emotion, that emotional connection. And it's kind of interesting because in, I've been involved in multiple discussions and I actually have these discussions all the time with people about photography in particular as art and as a, something that's being collected as art. And, um, you know, a big question people are always asking is, well, when does a photograph become fine art? Because there's literally, you know, there's billions of photographs and, and what makes one photograph fine art versus another photograph that may not be viewed as fine art. And it's a complex question and, you know, there's all kinds of debates about it. But for me um, as a collector and someone that's actually spending money collecting um, photography, I can tell you that it comes down to emotion. And when I can see emotion in a photograph, um, regardless of what the, maybe the, the underlying purpose of why that photograph was first taken. If I can feel that emotion in that photograph, then that's the, that's a huge step for me considering it to be fine art. And when I listen to you talk, um, I understand why when I look at like mass cartwheel and I saw that photo, there's no question in my mind is, Hey, is this fine art or is this not fine art? Is this a, just, a photograph that's telling a story, but not really something collectible there, no question there. And it's because that passion that you have and that we're, when you're speaking, it's coming out, it's really, it comes through in um, your photography. And so um, for whatever it's worth, I just wanted to tell you that because I think it's so important for you to, to talk and to tell about your experience because I can then, that passion that I think I'm seeing in that photography, 
I know, uh, hey, I got that right. That's 100% there. And it's really exciting to me. And so it just makes me can't wait to see what else you have and what else is in those collections. And um, it really builds that excitement for it. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for, um, you know, being willing to come into a space and to talk about it because it's, it's kind of inspiring. So thank you. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I wrote to you uh, for that very, you know, for that very reason, because I felt like um, it's a matter of, I guess, gratitude at the beginning um, I felt like if somebody cares about my my art, my photography, uh, I I feel like I owe it to them to to offer to tell you the story. <laughs> so that's really all it was. Um, uh, I feel like uh, you. You should know as much as you want to know. I mean, the the photographs again that I have hanging on my walls because I haven't started uh, collecting NFTs myself yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, I could if you walked into my home and you stepped up in front of one of the framed photographs and you asked me about it. Usually I have a very close personal relationship with them. Um, and so it's the same for me. It matters. That's what matters most to me. Um, it's like the emotional connection that the photographer has with it. And, and consequently what I have, the connection that I have to them and to it. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I have a question kind of, left field a little bit for you um so you're in these situations obviously that would be pretty highly charged um you know in, in some very dangerous uh you know or potentially dangerous situations what do you do to decompress when you're wanting to just relax and decompress and what do you do? Like, what's your, what's your decompress look like? And do you have a decompressed type of photography you do? Is there something that you do, you go and it's just like, so you can just, you know, relax and, um, and calm down from <laughs> maybe what you've just experienced and, and process it. Um, yeah. I mean, I spent my whole career uh, well, at least the beginnings of my career working primarily in uh, news situations, uh, conflict, you know, bad, tough places and situations. Um, I guess I would say I got away from that a little bit in the last six or eight years working um, for National Geographic. I'm doing stories that are... I would say equally serious, but you know, a different kind of adventure or a different kind of um, tension. Uh, but just in the last two years, just because of circumstances, first COVID, then uh, Minneapolis, where I live, uh, South Minneapolis, when George Floyd was 
murdered by a police officer. Uh, I was photographing news again in my, but this time in my front doorstep for the first time. Um, and now I went, then I went back to Afghanistan and spent all of last year in Ukraine. So I've gone, thrown myself back into uh, those kinds of situations that you described. But um, to, to unwind, uh, I'm a kayaker, <laughs> do a lot of kayaking, and uh, I make use of um, public land, national parks, and um, that's a big important thing for me, not only as a photography and that geo storyteller, but um, as a way to just get away from it all. Um, and, you know, I did, a, I did, the only thing I did besides photograph in Ukraine last year was um, photographed uh, the Apostle Islands National Park for Nat Geo, where I spent 28 days uh, in a kayak uh, with two food resupplies, <laughs> paddling around and making pictures. So that's my that's my, uh, my unwinding. But also one other thing, I, I really, sometimes in photography, I think everybody in this room who's a photographer will relate to this. You feel the pressure of creating uh, outside pressure or your own kind of voice in your head saying you need to go and make something amazing. And it could be paralyzing. Um, and so, I find that like using photographing something where there's no expectation, no one's waiting for it. Uh, no one's, no one's, um, there's no deadline using a camera that I haven't used before, you know? So I have the, I guess, like mental excuse of, well, I didn't really know how to use that camera or using a technology that I hadn't used before it kind of just like has a very freeing feeling for me. Um, and some of the most important projects that I've ever done have been projects that I started with that frame of mind where I went out with a some camera I had no idea how to use to photograph something that I knew nothing about for, for myself or for no bun, for no one. And then, it just, I became so inspired to get up in the morning and go out there and do it because it was just for me. Um, and something really interesting came of it. And, and then it actually became, you know, a published project or, you know, a 20 year obsession, I would say, but it all starts with, uh, like that decompression process, which is, just going out and doing, getting back to doing something to work for the reasons that you did it the first time you went out to pictures. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's amazing. And Alpha, did you have another question? Oh, there we go. I'm going to mute. <laughs> I'm going to mute your mic, Alpha. <laughs> and if you had something else you wanted to ask, you're welcome to. Um, I just wasn't sure if you if your mic was on intentionally. Um, but I did want to ask David, um, 
you had mentioned that with your North Korea's, Korea series, you know, coming into the space you wanted as far as starting the project or coming in and having granted the access and becoming, you know, familiar with really the world there and knowing that you wanted to tell an important message. Do you have a message that you're planning to tell with this first series and then also with the second series um, as you're releasing them into the NFT world and then also with the book that will, I'm, I'm guessing will accompany those images as well? I guess it would be, uh, yeah, I mean, I went to, no, I went to North Korea because I was going to try to be like a dedicated critical journalist and I was going to, you know, uncover the nuclear secrets and do all of the you know, hard hitting journalism that's expected of, you know, the sole American in a foreign country that's estranged from the United States. But honestly, what I did there turned out to be more interesting and more um, radical than that, which was I just photographed everyday life in a place where the rest of the world knows nothing about them and actually believes that there isn't normal everyday life. And so the photography became a, only about um, a counter to this, this idea or othering that we all have uh, about North Korea. And that the photography was just a reaction to this like visual splendor of the place, but also just to say that here's a place uh, full of people that could be you or me. and. Um, they're worthy of our understanding and our appreciation. Well, it's absolutely captivating. Um, I know I've, I enjoy perusing your Instagram and, you know, seeing the images there and learning more about it. So I can't wait for, um, the, to be able to see the images released, um, and, you know, as you're planning and also with the book. So it's just absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's, and to get to see it firsthand from someone that has been able to appreciate it and see it in such a intimate way is just incredible. So definitely appreciate you joining us to talk about it, but also for um, being there to capture it and letting us see it through your eyes. Thank you so much for everyone's interest in this. It's obviously a bit of an obscure uh, topic and idea, and uh, I really appreciate yeah people's time and interest in this, especially you, Alpha. Thank you. Well, and I also, I know we've been going a little over an hour, so I do want to be very respectful of your time. I know Tyler has joined us and it looks like has a question. I was going to also, before turning the mic over, was going to ask if anyone else had a question or two for David, if he doesn't mind entertaining that, this would be a great time to go ahead and request. Um, but Tyler, great to have you with us. How are you today? Hey, y'all. I'm doing amazing today. I'm, I'm in an amazing mood today. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of good mood days in 2023. So I'm very happy about that. But I hope everyone's doing well in here too. Doing well, thank you. And did you have a question to share with us? 
Yeah, definitely. So I'm kind of starstruck right now. David, I'm a huge fan of your work. I've been following your work for over 10 years. Um, I'm half South Korean and half Irish German. And I've been to South Korea two, three, three different times. Um, so I, I have a, like a personal connection to the culture. And um, I wanted to say I love your work so much like i love that you photograph the everyday this is what i i always wanted to see um growing up i wanted to see like because you only see like the propaganda or you see like the negative media from the west you never see like you know because it's an information stronghold you don't see the everyday life and you don't see that you know maybe there are just people living there that um you know, it's easy to paint everyone in the country as being like Kim Jong-un and being like an evil, like wants to, you know, be totalitarian and restrict everyone from information. And, and then you realize that there's actually just normal people there that, are, that didn't choose to be born there, that didn't choose that that life or that totalitarian, you know, dictatorship type situation, but they're just kind of there. So my question was, how much did you come like conversate with the people there and were you ever in a situation where you had to like omit like telling somebody like how it is outside of the country or um i know that south koreans will send like balloons with information and flash drives and stuff over the border to try to make it into the more populated areas of north korea to give them some of the information that they're being withheld from um but yeah that was my question is that were you ever in like a a conversation or a situation where it was like man i like want to tell this person or i want to like really like expose the world's information to this person but i shouldn't yeah that's a good question um i you know since myself and the writer i was working with uh were to, you know usually the only american <laughs> we were you were usually the only americans that every North Korean we met had ever like come across. And so in some ways I kind of felt like I was, a, I had a responsibility to be, I guess, uh, represent all of us. And so I was sort of on my best behavior all the time and <laughs> tried to be as uh, respectful as possible. And, you know, I dressed up, I can wore a tie when I was there, um, which I don't normally do. And, um, the Koreans, the North Koreans, uh, who we ha worked with, our guides, our minders, try to keep keep um, some separation between foreigners visiting there and North Koreans, and so there were already um, sometimes limits on you know how much I would have been able to share or not share with people. Um, the, the North Koreans who I had close relationships with. Um, while we were in North Korea, we often kept the conversations in a, on a I guess, like a, on a superficial level. But there were also times when, and I remember, I remember uh, bringing in a copy of the New Yorker magazine that I had, I had published a story um, about the tsunami in Japan where I was living at the time in Tokyo. And I brought a copy of the magazine and I handed it to this North Korean um, colleague of mine. And we were driving in a car and I watched her sit for like two or two or three hours and just pour over every page of the magazine and study like every advertisement for, you know, a watch 
or like all the things that we flip past on our way to like reading the comics <laughs> and just pour over every detail of the magazine. And it was just so interesting to me because I felt like um, she was so eager and hungry to, to learn like so much and read between the lines of all of these things. Um, I also had a chance to travel outside of North Korea with North Korean colleagues um, twice. Uh, I think we went to a group of six of us um, where I was supposed to be training them on training North Koreans in photography. We went to China and to Thailand and then twice came to the United States. We went to New York, um, which was mind blowing. Like we landed That's insane. in we landed in New York the day that uh, it would have been 20, 2012, 2011. It was the day that uh, gay marriage, uh, legalization of gay marriage was announced. And there was this massive, massive celebration in New York City. And we were like walking to our hotel and like through just throngs of like this massive pride parade <laughs> with these North Korean guys wearing black suits and Kim Jong-il Kim Jong -il pins on their lapels. Um, we went to uh, We went to a Yankees game. I took them to Wall Street and like let them an AP photographer got us in and we walked around on the trading floor and they got to hold the gavel. <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, and they I could go on and on, but they never, uh, they didn't really say all that much when we were there. They were just kind of, their eyes were wide and they were just completely blown away. And when we got back to North Korea, we had a lot of conversations, memories about the trip and they were absolutely, uh, blown away by what they saw both good and bad poverty they were shocked at homelessness um surprised at like traffic and construction and garbage and like just they just were completely blown away and overwhelmed by the the liberty of it all <laughs> that we're so skinny as well and we're not all like 400 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, for the insight. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us, Tyler. That was a great question. Um, and Jack, if you'd like to take the mic, you're welcome to. Welcome to the stage. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Uh, David, thank you for your time today. Um, getting to to hear firsthand your your experiences is, is really humbling. Um, I, uh, I do have a question. As a fellow photographer, um, I have now reached a point in my, my life, my career, where I'm proficient with the tools. Um, there's, it, I feel like now uh, it's a question of access. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I have interests in things such as uh, power plants, uh, refineries, uh, Amazon warehouses, places where I can't go because I've I've won no awards. Um, you know, I, I don't have uh, credentials, things like that. And I was wondering if there's any type of um, tips or just kind of speak about how you've been able to gain access. Um, it may be just a whole can of worms for another conversation, but I'm just really curious on how you would operate trying to get somewhere where you're not allowed, which is basically what you've done your entire career. But um, 
let's say at home, you know, where I'm sorry, this is private property, you can't come in. How would you approach something like that? Well, I think I think it's true that there's a lot of uh, access issues that are very complicated if you don't have the backing and support of a organization or a newspaper or magazine that a journalist, uh, you know, can can flash for access. Um, I guess I would say that there's this it's the same same issue uh, in navigating the profession is that it's best to begin with um, the things like in our own backyard and to photograph the things that uh, our own lives and the things that I guess only I mean, when, I, when I began photography the first first six or eight years I was I was photographing the only the things that I could access in my own backyard telling the story of my own telling my own story really and telling it in a way that was unique but that I had a perspective that nobody else could have and then um, it was you know through that work that I was noticed that set me apart especially now there has to be a way to cut through all the noise and to and the support of followers, readers, the profession, whatever they can kind of like take you to the next plateau and get some sort of access and assignments. And I don't know if this is uh, exactly what you were asking about, but that's my. Yeah, no, that that's perfect. I, I just wanted to kind of get your, your take on that, um, that we don't all start out uh, photographing, um, you know, sequestered countries. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Sorry if I'm making noise. I'm, uh, I'm scrambling up and down the stairs trying to find uh, keys to go and photograph. I'm doing a project at the moment on Ukrainian military uh, soldiers who are injured, who are in Minnesota, uh, receiving high-tech prosthetic limbs. Um, so I'm... <laughs> David, are you in Minnesota right now? Also, my yeah. brother has prosthetic limbs. So you are hitting so many things right now. <laughs> That's interesting. Your brother, your brother does? Yeah, he has two prosthetic legs his whole his whole life. But if you're in Minnesota, man, I would love to grab coffee. That would be amazing. Oh, I didn't know you uh, you were here. Yes. Well, thank you, Jack, too, for those questions. And um, it is Tyler, amazing, Tyler, how many similarities there are there. Um, and thank you very much, David, for your answers, um, because I can't think of a better person to ask about gaining access to restricted places um, and working on developing that part of your career. So thank you for your viewpoint on that. Um, and I also wanted to say just thank you for joining us today. I know I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, 
um, and appreciate Alpha being here with us and Chikai, um, and especially like Chikai mentioned um, so well that I know it's not always the easiest to come and you know talk with a group in this setting, but um, it's been absolute pleasure, and I've really really enjoyed it a lot. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate everyone coming, listening to my uh, tall tales and uh, perspective. And uh, so thanks for having this and welcoming me into the world of Web3 and for all the support. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I can tell you anytime you want a platform to talk, talk tell stories and talk about your work, we're more than happy to host. So anytime you'd like to, it is an absolute pleasure, um, but have so much respect and appreciation from all, for all that you do and really, really appreciate the time today. Oh. And oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just, just to say thank you again. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you to all of our friends that joined to listen. And if you haven't followed David yet, please do. Um, it's absolutely, watching your feed and watching your Instagram is just such an education in itself. So, so much respect again for, for all that you do and the, the stories that you're capturing and um, exposing us to. So really have enjoyed it. And um, I'll see if Alpha or Chikai have anything else that they'd like to say before we close up the room. I am about to pick up my kid from school, but I just wanted to also say thank you, Dave, coming up. I'm glad you did the space. Uh, Emma and Alpha and Medjung are, are great, great people with who are doing so much good things for the community, and so I'm so happy I'm connected with them and they connected with you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll be talking more, David, about future releases, so we should chat soon. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you. Well, and thank you very much, Chikai, for joining us and co-hosting. And I know Alpha mentioned that his connection isn't super great at the moment. So I will say a thank you on his behalf. Um, and yes, it's been wonderful um, getting to work side by side with Monolith on so many great projects and being able to introduce people and help work together on um, being able to support those in the space. So can't wait to see what's coming um, between the two, Monolith and David, with your work. Um, so we'll be staying tuned. But again, thank, every, thank you to everyone that came today. And with that, we'll go ahead and say good evening. So thank you again, everyone. Have a wonderful evening, wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much and good night.